Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, March 25th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Opening day for the Royals is one week away, and decisions are getting made. The biggest one this week was the contract extension for catcher Salvador Perez, making him the highest paid player in Royals history. Beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahe Gregorian call it a win-win proposition for Perez and the Royals. We also discuss the starting rotation, which was announced by manager Mike Matheny this week. Brad Keller gets the ball on opening day. Who lines up behind him? And what will the back end of the bullpen look like? So let's get started talking Royals with Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian on a program that started as a Sports Beat Live. Good morning and welcome from a cold and rainy Kansas City. It seems like I've been saying that a lot lately. Uh, and welcome to Sportsbeat Live, where we talk Royals baseball with the people who know them the best, the, the sports writers and columnists for the Kansas City Star. And with you, please send us your questions and comments. We'll get to as many of them as we can. Let's welcome in from the comfort of Surprise, Arizona, Lynn Worthy, and from the comfort of his home office, Vahe Gregorian. Good morning, guys. Good, Good morning, morning. Blair. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Vahe. <laughs> and it is not uh, it's not rainy and cold here. I, you know, I just want to point that out. <laughs> it seems well, to ne- never not be rainy and cold here these days. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you missed the, the brisk morning uh, chill in your face when you walk the dog. So we got that going for us. That's, that's right. Oh, man. Hey, guys, uh, let's let's start with some news that broke earlier this week. Not, not unexpectedly, uh, Salvador Perez signed a contract extension. The four-year extension's worth uh, was a guaranteed $82 million. Uh, I want to talk to both of you about that. But first, let's hear from Royals general manager Dayton Moore and the man of the hour, Salvador Perez. It's not often that you get a chance to um, – to have press conferences like this, uh, where you get a chance to reward and celebrate uh, a player uh, like Salvador Perez, who he is as a person, what he means uh, to this game of baseball, what he means to the organization, our fans. Uh, it's, a, it's a special day uh, to be able to celebrate that. And uh, um, can't thank you enough. I'm thankful to your mother, your grandmother, uh, everybody who's raised you in this game, this organization, all the people that uh, have spoke so highly of you. And uh, we all know why. We all know why everybody's believed in you all these years, because you've earned it. And uh, people love being around you. They pull for you. And uh, it's, it's special that we get a chance to keep you here. Uh, I want to thank John Sherman. I want to thank the ownership group. Um, I want to thank uh, Jen Wong, Scott Sharp, uh, our entire front office for, for working hard. I want to take thank uh, Caesar for his uh, involvement as well. I want to thank uh, all of our coaches and uh, everybody involved. So, uh, First, you know, I want to thank the Kansas City organization uh, for signing me, you know, 
for saying Orlando Esteban to Venezuela when I was 16 years old and see me, you know, and, and sign me as a catcher. Yeah, I don't think I was going to play, you know, behind the home player with third base in shortstop. So I think Orlando Esteban told me some good things, you know, he want to see me from behind the home player and I did it. So thank you, Dave. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank God for giving my mom the mom that I have. You know, for my grandma, uh, it's hard. It's hard to believe where I'm coming from when I grow up to now to see me the situation that I am right now. It's it made me feel super happy. I know my mom doing pretty good job, and I know my grandma is gonna be happy. Sorry, mm -hmm. uh, I know she's here right now, and I'm excited. I'm excited to to stay here for. Four more years, maybe five. We go see. And uh, thank you for believing in me, Dave. You know, thank you, Mr. Sherman. And I'm going to be ready. Well, I think, I think John is, has been extremely supportive and he's a great admirer of Salvi. How about Salvi getting a little emotional there? Um, I'll tell you what, I, I was in surprise in 2016 when there was a similar press conference. The, they announced a contract extension for Salvador Perez. I don't remember him getting uh, as choked up as he did on, on this occasion. And Vahe, I got to tell you, I, Dayton Moore just loves moments like this, doesn't he? He does, Blair. And, and in all candor, it kind of chokes me up to see the sort of the, the pure emotion from both of them. Something I, it, I, you notice about Dayton there that I think is uncommon, and he's uncommon in a lot of these things, but as he's speaking about Sal, a lot of people maybe do this in a perfunctory sort of way. He is turning towards Sal, extolling his virtues, he's having a conversation with him that shows you how much it's from the heart. And I just think that's, that's a consistent theme we hear time and again about people's affection for Dayton and vice versa. Um, I think it's it's one of those things. I can't remember how Sam Mellinger put it the other day, but um, you know, when when you're when you're in love, you you overlook uh, other things, right? You just you just go. And um, that that's kind of been the case. And and by the way, I know we'll link to this uh, later, but Lynn and, and Sam Mellinger both wrote great things in the last couple of days about this and and Lynn, I, I, I really enjoyed you taking us back to uh, to the early days through Renee and others you spoke with. Well, we, you're absolutely right, Vahe. We will link to the stories that Lynn and, and Sam wrote about this occasion uh, in the show notes as this uh, broadcast becomes a podcast. Uh, Lynn, from a, uh, from a business perspective, interesting uh, contract. The extensions for four years, $82 million dollars. Was um, did did the did the Royals get the did they read the market right? Uh, did they did they make a good business move here? Well, um, I, I'll say this: uh, if you read the, the, the our fine readers of the Kansas City Star, probably saw 
at the end of January where I was sort of spitballing about what a contract might look like and where I landed at was right around four years and 80 million. So I point that out one, because that's about where it was. And two, because I probably might not be that right ever again. So let me make sure that I <laughs> make sure that I mention it. Um, to do that. That's right. That's, that is correct. Because when I am wrong, I'm sure there'll be no shortage of people letting me know. Um, but um I think coming off of this offseason where you had JT Real Muto, who's really, I think the, the difference in their age is really about a year and a half or something like that. It, it's within two years. It's, it's less than two years. Um, it's close to a year. Um, and he got that contract that put him um, with an AAV that was like, I think it was 23 and a half million that set a record. Um, he's getting in that, you know, 20 million a year range. I mean, I think. Um, it seems like people feel like there's a big difference between him and Salvi. I think because Salvi, you know, has the bigger body, is a little bit older, is caught for a while longer. But I think the some of the stuff that Vahe was talking about, they, you know, the Royals lean in when it comes to the center mentality and the, the personal side. And Salvi in Kansas City probably is worth more than somewhere else. And the fact that they kept him from getting on the open market is a, is a big part of that too. I mean, because... I mean, just to give an example, like if, if he hits the market this offseason as a free agent and he gets to test the waters and you had a team like, say, the Yankees where Gary Sanchez is, uh, you know, up in the air, maybe they decide this year after he doesn't, if he doesn't do well, that they got to go out and get a catcher and Salvador Perez is sitting there waiting for him. Do the Royals want to get in that bidding war with the Yankees? You know, I mean, that's – and to potentially lose a guy who's a franchise cornerstone, the guy who, you know – um, and I started sort of asking these questions at the end of last season, but a guy who might be the next Alex Gordon in terms of career Royal, who was here through the championship years, who they don't let go anywhere else to see that walk away. I just don't think Dayton's going to let that happen at all. Lynn, I think that's a great distinction you make, by the way, for, for the Royals. He's a franchise cornerstone for the Yankees or some such. He'd be a piece and, you know, a good piece. But I, but I think there's a difference in the context of, of how he fits here, especially as a guy who literally has spent, I think, this is almost exactly right, half his life in the Royals organization. Yeah, yeah. He signed when he was 16 and he'll turn 31 in May. So, yeah, it's, it's getting close to that. Um, and he's going to be, you know, the, the AAV annual uh, average annual value is going to be about 20, it was a 20.5, I think, million over the four years, um, not including the option year. And that puts him in that ballpark with guys like Yachty and, you know, the top catchers in the game. Um, the, the thing you worry about is the longevity. Is he going to be able to hold up and still produce the way he does at age, you know, 35? Um, when he is, like we mentioned, a bigger guy, um, catch, tries to catch a lot. He's had some some different injury issues and knee issue and stuff like that in the past. So that's, that's the part that you worry about. Um, but again, I think that part of that that calculus there is factoring in how much more he might mean to the Royals and to the franchise and to the fan base than to than you know if you let him leave and go he goes somewhere else. And Lynn, how how about uh, projecting his you know, his four years at um, at at position? I I don't. You know, he's famously said he wants to catch all 162 games. Um, I, I can see him beginning a transition out of that, you know, out of that, certainly out of that mindset and out of those uh, possible numbers for him as the as this contract continues. 
Yeah, I mean, I could, I could definitely see him doing more DHing. I mean, I think one thing, and I mean, and I don't think the Royals will would necessarily come out and say it, but I mean, um, signing this deal, you lock up Salvi for the next couple of years. Um, Jorge Soler is heading into free agency this offseason. And so maybe this makes it more likely. I, I mean, if I, my guess is it does make it more likely Jorge Soler doesn't come back. But then that also opens up that DH spot because Soler has been sort of your full-time DH. And so maybe that's where you make sure that you have that opening for, for Salvi to get some more time at DH. Or if you want to use him some at first base and, you are, and you know, what that means, Santana or somebody gets more time at DH. Um then you sort of have that leeway as opposed to having a guy who you know is going to be in that spot every day. So I could see more DH, more first base becoming a factor depending on, you know, how who comes up from the farm system and whether um, pieces they have in place. I also like the Yadier Molina comparison. I think Molina has been the Cardinals catcher since the mid sixties. Um, I, I can't remember the last time he was not the Cardinals catcher and uh, Jim McCaser, right to, right to Yadier Molina. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, I think he caught Bob Gibson, you know, early in his career. <laughs> um, but Bahi, don't you see? I mean, Salvador Perez is—he's he, that guy for the Royals, isn't he? he by the when it's all said and done, he—he's going to be. Um, he, he right now is the, the Royals. Maybe if if you had to assign percentages to these types of things, the 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 Hall of Fame candidate for the Royals next, you know, the the next one. And um, and and has a chance to be probably considered a top five royal of all time, doesn't he? It, I, I think that's right, Blair. And I think part of it is for everything else that goes with it. He's the through line to this Royals era, right? I mean, comes in. It, it, it's it's signed shortly after Dayton takes over. There's a parallel in the in the entire enterprise, right? Uh, he's part of the 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 resurgence of 2014 and 2015. And he's here up through the next step. You know, the Royals obviously fell back, but certainly uh, there's a lot of excitement and I think reasonable anticipation of, of a, a breakthrough again now. Maybe it's not going to be a World Series in the next year or two, but but certainly a postseason is, seems a, a, a realistic hope. And he's going to be that aspect of it you know the, the way he's a little different than a Molina too it, that's also a distinct thing I mean certainly Molina's had in, endurance but the Cardinals have pretty much always been good I always tell my friends in St. Louis they'll never know what it was like in 2014 and 2015 for the Royals because they're in the World Series every five years you know the Royals had to wait 29 years um, and so to, to, to see a guy who's so essentially identifiable with all that makes him not just you know potential Hall of Fame candidate and maybe a top five royal, but really endeared to the city, especially with that personality, right? Absolutely. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. 
Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, guys, let, let's switch gears and talk about the rotation. I think since the last time we talked, the Royals have named an opening day starter, and we know the the uh, the starters for the the first few games. Lynn, why don't you break it down for us, uh, and then we'll we'll talk about the the options after number four. Yeah, so the opening day starter will be Brad Keller, which was not a uh, a shocker. Um, you know, he started in 2019. He got, he got the opening day start last year, obviously, um, with the shortened season. And he actually was not on the opening day roster because he was still recovering from COVID. So um, so this will be his second opening day start. It's going to go from Keller to uh, Mike Miner to um, Brady Singer to Danny Duffy. So you'll get right, left, right, left. Um, Keller gets that opening day and that home opener. Um, then... Uh, the first road game will be Duffy's game in Cleveland. He'll get that that last one, and so and they don't need a fourth or a fifth starter. They don't. They won't play five games consecutively until, I believe it's April tenth through fourteenth when it's Chicago, and then I forget where the end of that one is, but I know it starts in Chicago. So um, and the the off days and everything, let them spread that out. But so Brad Keller will make his second opening day start, and uh, they'll go four man rotation and and go from there. He was good in that uh, that opening day start in 2019, as I recall. He had seven scoreless innings against the White Sox, a game that the, the Royals ended up winning in um, in 2019. And as you mentioned, the Royals just uh, need the four for the first basically couple of weeks of the season. But there's a little bit of intrigue now with the fifth starter. Is there not? Uh, the, the, the Royals um, sent down Chris Bubich and, I, you know, I he would seem to be the leader to be the fifth starter, but it's not a slam dunk, is it? I don't think so because um, when when he was sent down, uh, I think Mike Matheny made it pretty clear that there was it wasn't just a so much a paperwork thing. It was there's certain things that he needs to get better at and he needs to work on because they feel like they know what the best of Chris Bubich looks like and, and they haven't seen it yet. They haven't seen it yet in the majors this last year, and they weren't seeing it in spring training. I think Bubich even alluded to it a little bit in his the last time we spoke to him after his last spring training start. Um, so there's there's stuff that needs to get fixed there. So it's not as though it's an automatic you just plug him in when it comes time. Plus, you've got some other people that you might be able to look at. I mean, uh, Jacob Junis is another guy. I mean, just yesterday, his outing, I mean, he, he came out in just two innings in relief. And it was six up, six down, three strikeouts. Mike Trout, see you later. Have a seat. <laughs> I mean, it was uh, it was. Pretty, I mean, it's spring training, but it was pretty impressive. So, um, and he's you know he's added to his repertoire. The cutter has really given him a different look this year. Um, and that was always one of the issues with him was getting through that lineup the second and third time. The numbers for that offense just went way up. And now if he's got a different look to give them, that gives him a chance to get through a lineup with the second and third time, then 
that might change the way you look at him as a starter. Well, he, he certainly is. Junis is certainly one of the intriguing people right now on uh, w- w- his role. And even I, I think his inclusion on the roster is kind of all but assured. But th- what his role is going to be when the when this when the season opens? What about um, uh, if, if he's that, you know, let's just say for for argument's sake, he's not the fifth starter, uh, but he's he's in the bullpen. What um, is he the long guy there? What what role does what's his possible role? Well, and for right now, um, it's pretty much I think it's more or less set um, that he's going to be in the bullpen to start the season when they go four man, um, and they're they're sort of Matheny's um, referred to as a hybrid role. Yeah, we wrote about in, um, today's uh, well, I was going to say today's paper. I think online uh, yesterday and this morning, um, but I'm not, it probably isn't in print yet, but. Um, he he's a guy who you know they'll use them. They're trying to get him ready to be used in short outings, but also if they need long relief, if they need you know still keep him stretched out to the point where if they want to use him as the fifth starter when that time comes to still have that option available. But he might be the guy who comes out for an inning or two and just comes at you with that you know the slider and the fastball and say have at it and like he you know similar to like he did yesterday where it was just boom boom boom. Um, or he could be a long guy. Um, same thing with Irvin Santana. He could be in that similar, similar type role where he might be a long guy, could be a sh- used in shorter outings, see if his stuff plays up, and then stay stretched out and be an option. Um, so he could be, you know, the sort of that, you know, Swiss Army knife type guy. And, and if they decide to keep him in that bullpen role, then you still have options like Santana, like Daniel Lynch, like Bubich. So you have a bunch of different ways you could go and, you know, Mike Matheny is sort of keeping all options open when you try and pin him down on that. Not with a week, with a week left. That's not going to happen. <laughs> he's going to he's going to give you a, a just a plethora of different ways they could go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. Um, so last week uh, we asked the question at the top: How far in the show could we go without mentioning Bobby Witt Jr.? <laughs> we are uh, almost twenty minutes in. And this is the first mention of Bobby Wood Jr. I blame Sam because Sam Mellinger was the one who brought it up and, uh, and, and just dominated the conversation when it came to Bobby Wood. Of course, the question a week ago and throughout most of spring training is uh, what, what were the Royals going to do? Um, it, it, how, how difficult a decision would it be for the Royals to, to, keep, them, keep, to keep them up? Well, the Royals made their decision. And and Bobby Wood Jr. will not not begin the season on the opening day roster. But hey, um, I, I I think you may be the only one we haven't heard or ha- we haven't had you weigh in on on the Bobby Witt conversation. What what, have, what are your observations of him? And um and, and we'll we'll talk about some of the other players that the Royals uh, are 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 sending down. But uh, but what what's your uh, Bobby Witticisms? <laughs> Uh, that's too much credit by accident. Um, you know, look, he's pretty mesmerizing. And, and, uh, I was down there for a a little streak where he hit a couple home runs, uh, including the, the 484 footer off the concourse that I think took three bounces into, into Utah or whatever's North of the stadium. Um, that's West, I guess. Where is Utah? I think you're right. North. Yeah. North. One of the four corners state. Or the Great Canyon. Um, and, and 
that's really been, you know, I got a little glimpse, I think, last year, but that's really been uh, the first time I've seen him in person a little bit. And we did talk about this a little once, I think, just because uh, I remember going down this trail a little bit about what, what you learn by the way other players talk about him, Un, and especially when it's unbidden. I mean, it, it, Lynn, uh, I think, replayed part of an interview from Danny Duffy last summer in one of the stories he wrote where Danny just paused and started bringing up Bobby Witt when he was talking about one of his simulated outings uh, at summer camp. And he just, you know, called him the greatest hitter of all time. And he was sort of joking, but he didn't really know. And then uh, Hunter Dozier, uh, the, the day Bobby hit that 484-footer, uh, is going through the lineup of the Royals, talking about how there's no holes and how great the lineup is. Santana, Soler, Perez, Bobby Witt. It's like... Huh. So, you know, and, and in talking to Royals executives, I mean, certainly you, you could get the sense that there, there was a real question about what to do. Lynn uh, injected some um, important perspective, I think, about two weeks ago when we were talking about this, saying, you know, kind of trying to calm us down and saying, uh, you know, there's really no harm in him playing his first minor league game before he goes to the majors. I know the 37 rookie league games count as something but i i think that's different and i kind of like that kind of deflated me it's like yeah lynn's right um i would be excited to see him right now um but i get the logic and i think uh it's it's not a necessity for him to be here now but i think the real question is going to be and i think Matheny said this the other day how all right how do they keep how do these guys uh, bobby and other players of his ilk who are on the cusp pressing the issue now and one last thing for now is that you know we're gonna we're gonna keep this alive because um because we just will it's what we do but also I, I i'm finally writing this piece uh today on uh the perspective of bobby stroop who trains both bobby witt jr and patrick mahomes not on them exactly as parallels but on on something about the it factor in each of them is really kind of the the um the overlap in the venn diagram so uh, we're, we're not going to let it go. And we shouldn't. And I'm looking forward to that Bobby Strope story. That, that'll be good. So Lynn nailed the, the Salvador Perez contract. He nailed the Bobby Witt uh, Jr. future. Um, Drop the mic. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, got, I, I do want to say that that's maybe the nicest way I've ever been told that I was the Debbie Downer and threw cold water on things. He, 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 he just – he. He sugarcoated it so well when he said, ah, yes, he added perspective and then <laughs> slid wow. in there that how he, was, how he was deflated by the time I was done with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so at least for now, no Roy Hobbs story, right? <laughs> with, uh, you know, at, at, at Kauffman Stadium, I'm not going to see the whammer or the hammer, whatever he called his bad. Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy. Okay. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay, so Bobby Witt, not the only uh, not the only guy uh, that was sent down. I we expected right Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, Kyle Isbell. What a nice spring for Kyle Isbell, Lynn. Um, uh, all all guys that are uh, when you see stories written about teams that uh, where were were rookies or very young players, uh, you know, had, had good springs. The Royals are always mentioned, and it's they are because of some of these guys I, I just mentioned. Yeah, and one thing that um, has jumped out to me is every time, you know, obviously Bobby Witt gets talked about more than any of those guys, but um, 
Kyle Isbell is probably the guy that Mike Matheny makes sure to bring up in the same breath as Bobby Witt. Every time, you know, we sort of start asking the questions about what Bobby might be able to do and how far he's come and the, and the types of, you know, strides he's made. Like Mike Matheny is quick to say, Kyle Isbell has, you know, has really had a great spring and really looks good. Looks like a guy who can contribute. And I mean, I think if we go back to when the Royals made the trade for Andrew Benintendi, and um, I think the question came up to Dayton Moore about, you know, does this mean that, you know, you're probably a little bit ways away with guys like, you know, Kyle Isbell. Moore was pretty, you know, adamant about it. He's like, well, not there, there, there's a path to see them both in the same outfield in the future, you know? <laughs> I mean, so it was, I mean, he's a guy that they think highly of. He's performed well. Um, I don't think that they really view him. I mean, like Bobby obviously is is rated so highly and, and so young and has made such quick strides, but I think um, they view him as being in that same category in terms of being able to contribute sooner than later and be able to be a, a, an everyday guy. Um, they see that potential in him. Looking forward to seeing Kyle, uh, Kyle Isbell. Um, okay, let's uh, – I, I got emailed a couple of questions. Let me, uh, let me, let me get to them. Uh, Lynn, how about uh, your, your estimation on definitive roles at the back end of the bullpen, the 7, 8, and 9? Do you, will we see that? And if so, uh, what do we see? I don't think you will see that. Um, I think – you know, even last year, at the start of last year, you didn't see that. Eventually, they got to a point where Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal was the ninth inning guy, but they didn't start off that way. Mike Matheny said last year that that wasn't really what they were looking to do in spring training, and they had an established closer, you know, at the time, Ian Kennedy, who didn't have a good year last year, but he was coming off of 30-save season, um, and he had Rosenthal, and he had, you know, Greg Holland coming back, and he said it's not going to be set roles. He just – he, he, he was going to do it by matchups and by, you know, um, looking at that particular lineup, looking at what the high leverage situation was in that particular game. That's how he was going to do it. He said that going to spring training last year. He did that as the season played out, and he's saying it again this year. And I think that's – you're going to see that, and then eventually it may settle into that. But even still, if he feels like he needs to use a guy, you know, who's one of his main guys in the sixth inning because that's where the game might – potentially pivot, then he's going to do that. That's that's the way I see it. I don't think it's going to be, especially not from the start of the season, a, ninth, a seventh, eighth, and ninth inning guy. That's even with two-thirds of the HDH uh, trio uh, on the, uh, you know, on the roster right now so with, with Greg Holland and, and Wade Davis. Um, okay, do you see a scenario where uh, uh, it's, it's, it's an either-or with, uh, with Ryan McBroom and Ryan O'Hearn? I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure that one out. That's one of those things this last week. Cause I feel like um, depending on what that bench is going to look like, because you've got, um, you know, you've got potentially guys who can play multiple positions. So that gives you flexibility. And because you won't need a, a fifth starter, um, you could maybe go with one fewer pitcher than you will later. So the opening day roster, there's still a lot of things that you could do to play around with that. I mean, um, you could have, uh, you know, Ryan McBroom and Ryan O'Hearn. Um, I'm not sure how likely that is. I, I tend to think that it's probably one or the other. But, um, again, depending on how they want to shape that bench. And then, that again, that opening day bench may change 
by middle of the year, I mean, not the middle of the year, middle of the month, when they, you know, when they try to add a fifth starter or figure out who's going to be a fifth starter and maybe add a pitcher. I think the idea, at least last I knew, was probably looking at 13 pitchers, 13 position players to start the season, but they may go to 14, 12, um, leaning towards pitchers when they need to get to a fifth starter. So um, that's that bench is going to be a, a question mark in terms of exactly how they want to construct that. Okay, last spring training game is on uh, Monday. Opening day is on Thursday. Did when do they have to have the roster set? Is it is it just by by Wednesday or what's the what's the day the roster has to be turned in? I don't think. Well, I mean, then you could still. Uh, I mean, I want to say up until that day, we may not know the exact what the exact roster looks like because um, I want to say. Last year was obviously a different year, but I want to say in 2019, I, mean, I think they knew what the roster was about. I think up until that day, um, they hadn't announced that roster. Uh, opening day, I think it was that they announced the roster. I want to say it was, you know, on a that getting to the ballpark and having the sort of defend the roster that day. So, um, and then if something, you know, if somebody if something happens, you add a guy. Um, I know. Not everybody will necessarily break camp right away because I think they're already talking about Danny Duffy will stay behind and throw an extra outing here in Arizona because he's the fourth of the four starters to pitch. So um, I think it's going to go right down to the wire as far as and there's no exhibition game, you know, like uh, it was originally scheduled with Northwest Arkansas or a couple years ago they did with Omaha. Like you won't have that game. So they'll be able to sort of keep it close to the vest as long as they want to. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, so all three of us have covered events in the last few months with limited attendance. Uh, it's been odd, uh, very odd to say the least. Uh, I bring this up because the Royals announced yesterday that uh, single game tickets uh, are going on sale, started going on sale yesterday, and the Royals are going to limit attendance in, for April home games to 10,000 at Kauffman Stadium. Uh, I thought this was interesting. You cannot buy tickets on the day of the game for home games. You have to get them in advance. So I guess, Vahe, it's going to be great to see fans back in Kauffman Stadium, and I'm sure the players are absolutely going to love it. Uh, But opening day with 10,000 versus opening day with, you know, 40,000, it's better than opening day with zero. Yeah, and it, I was thinking about this this morning earlier, Blair. I mean, got a little glimpse of fans back in the stands out at the couple games I saw in Arizona, but but I found myself really conscious of the fact that uh, – interrupt me and tell me I'm wrong on this if I am, but it's the first major sport that hasn't had fans in the stands – well, at least for a, a home game, hasn't had fans in the stands since 2019. I mean, it right, the MLB well, – we didn't see it at – Coffin Stadium all last season, right? I don't think the end of, since since the shutdown. Does the NBA have the NBA have they just started letting fans in in some places? In some um, places, I think that yeah, I think in some some states, depending on the situation, some places right. have. I know the 70, I, 76ers just let some fans in. I saw that recently, and it, and I, I just bring that up in this context. I mean, I think we're that ten thousand is going to feel like thirty five thousand to me. I, I I could be wrong, but. I, I think it's going to feel special, even even though we'll, we'll understand the, the 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 gap, right? And it'll we'll be cognizant of what's empty still. 
But I think there's going to be something really reassuring and powerful in, in that number. And maybe it lends itself to baseball. I don't want to say in a better or more significant way than in other sports, but in a different way. Um, there is something about the relationship between the baseball fan and, and, and the, the intimacy of the, of the surroundings that's just a little different. I mean, I know it's not closer in some ways, and certainly not than basketball or hockey, but I just think there's something about that that's, that's going to get us. I think it's going to be pretty cool. And I think I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, one of the Royals players, because you know they've been uh, there's been fans at these spring training games, a very uh, you know small number. Um, but after one of the first ones, one of the players said something about it. it was just good to have people out there and to hear the actual sounds. And, to, and he mentioned even just you know getting heckled. And I can't remember who it was. And I want to say somebody brought it up to Matheny afterwards. And Matheny sort of laughed and said, yeah, that'll get old real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's going, to be, it's, it's going to be pod seating at Kauffman Stadium and, of course, mask wearing uh, when, you, when you're not actively eating or drinking, which at a baseball game, I don't know when you're not actively eating or drinking. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, let's uh let's call it a show, guys. Uh really appreciate uh Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for stopping by and talking Royals and to our producer Beth Welsh. We will do this again next week. We're still working on the date because next week uh, uh a week from today will be uh, will be opening day and um we'll, we we will let you know when we're coming at you the week of opening day. So, thanks everybody. Talk to you again soon. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. A tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy and Vahe Gregorian for stopping by and talking Royals. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and, as always, on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you. You can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. What's Sports Pass? That's the Kansas City Stars online sports section. So you get everything that appears in the print edition and then much, much more. And that's right, only 99 cents a month. For three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. What a time to subscribe. The Royals are wrapping up spring training. Opening days right around the corner. March Madness, we're in the middle of that. And it's never not Chiefs season. How do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. Do you want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports, news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented teammates, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. Love that E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.com kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of those offers, send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I will get you to the right place. So whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Friday with another episode.